This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Jennifer Saran, CFO Smart Chief, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 623. You know, one of the things that we did um, as part of when COVID started happening um, was go out and, and secure, you know, some financing. So we raised an equity line, um, a, a venture debt line for $20 million for operating, uh, as well as another bolted on $10 million for acquisitions. So we did that after, after COVID started. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Sanoe Torero, CFO of Envoy. CFO Sanoe Torero built his finance career at a string of startups, beginning with Etsy. The online global marketplace that trades on NASDAQ today was pre-IPO when Sanoe first joined them. In fact, uh, it was pre-finance and accounting function. Uh, as Sanoe will explain, he helped bring the accounting department back in-house as Etsy began experiencing rapid growth. We'll hear that story and a number of other startup tales, as well as what's happening at Envoy, Sanoe's latest startup. We begin after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking with Snowy Torero, CFO of Envoy. Snowy, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, Snowy, we're going to begin which uh, where we always do, which is to have you look back for us and share with us some of those experiences you feel prepared you for a finance leadership role. What were those experiences for you? Yeah, so um, I've had a number of senior finance roles uh, in startups over the last 18 years. Um, and I think I've seen basically like all the flavors of the, of the rainbow or the colors, I should say. You know, a company that ran out of money, that was not fun. A company that went IPO, that was fun. Uh, a company that became a lifestyle business, which is, you know, a company that's going to be around, but probably not going to have a great outcome. Um, good people. Uh, a company that got acquired, and, you know, and now I'm, I'm an envoy. Um, I think by far the experience that best 
prepared me, you know, for where I'm at today was being at Etsy. Um, I was at Etsy in 2008. Um, it was 70 of us in this very quirky office in Brooklyn where literally you pressed down to go up in the elevator. Um, <laughs> and if you remember 2008, it was, it was a very interesting time in our economy. So maneuvering through that was tricky, but also the startup scene in New York was very different, you know, back then than what it is today. I think right now there's, there's way more of a robust scene in New York. Uh, back then there was just, you know, a few of us. Um, you know, while I was there, I got a chance to report to a stellar board, um, Fred Wilson from Unisquare Ventures, Jim Breyer from Excel, Danny Reimer from Index, uh, Katarina Fake. So it was really the who's who in tech investing. So, you know, my foray into this was basically like being exposed to, you know, having direct exposure, you know, to a stellar board. And honestly, I, I couldn't pay for the education. There's no money that could have set the bar that high. Um, you know, I got an opportunity to build a data team, and that was before data science was was sexy. Uh, no one was a data scientist back then. Uh, you just basically found some guy that knew access and, and could graduate to SQL. Um, so, you know, early on, it was really more than just closing the books uh, while being at Etsy. Um, you know, I ran marketing for a while uh, and, and and was involved in the international expansion and, and much more. So. That's the beauty of startups, uh, and that's why I'm kind of like a serial startup guy by now. The exposure you get to the other operating parts of the company really, uh, you know, give you a lot of tools, um, which was what allowed me to become the CFO and COO at my last company. You know, I had a lot of operation experience. Now, while startups really became the path you go down, uh, originally you find your professional footing, uh, I'll describe it that way, at, at City. Uh, Citigroup. Am I characterizing that correctly, or how would you how would you put it? The the thing at Citi, it was uh, it was in the global transactions group of Citi, so it was basically an acquisition that Citi had made, and that group was sort of like a startup within Citi. So that again gave me an opportunity to go in there, and I was I've always been pretty good at spreadsheets and technology. I've I've been you know that guy that people that people go to <laughs> to like fix their printer. Um, from very early on. So at City, we were sort of building some groups from scratch. Um, and, you know, I was able to very quickly, like, help implement systems. Um, and that allowed me to, to really help that particular part evolve and, and gain more customers. At Etsy, uh, I, I'm probably, you, you got some great analytics experience there, no doubt. Um, how did that company, from the time you, you mentioned how, uh, it was only about 70 employees, I think it was the number you might have shared. Uh, it, when you left, however, how, how large a company was roughly, do you recall? Uh, it was like uh, 600 employees. So when you arrive, the finance team is really pretty pretty small, maybe a few individuals. And when you leave, I have to believe it was a fairly mature finance function ready for an IPO. Yeah. Yeah. So when I got there, there was no finance function. Uh, the, the accounting was outsourced. Um, and I'll never forget that I had to go once to go meet the, the bookkeeper and it was like in Coney Island. And I mean, it was, it was, it was quite a story. Uh, so no, so my first, my first thing was basically bringing the accounting in house back then we used QuickBooks. So basically going in, taking the QuickBooks file and bringing it in house and then starting to build, uh, the accounting function it, because of the nature of Etsy, the accounting function really didn't have to grow initially as much as the data function. Right. Um, it was a marketplace. So the transactions were in big volume. Um, we didn't send invoices. We didn't have bills. We didn't really have AR that you normally have. 
um, everything is paid by credit card on the web. So from that perspective, it was more about keeping that running, but then understanding the transactions of the business on the data side was sort of like the primary responsibility. By the end, obviously, we had a pretty robust data team. We had a full-fledged um, you know, uh, accounting team. We had international operations. We had multiple offices. Uh, we had we had moved, you know, <clears throat> we started doing the migration of RIP to Ireland. So there was some complicated tax stuff that we were doing. You know, we were getting audited by, you know, by PwC and using the lawyer for tax. So we had built up to, you know, basically everything that you needed for the IPO by that time. Again, you made an investment there as well. You leave as a VP of finance. It was about roughly about five years or more that you had spent. So a lot of growth, a lot of uh, experience there. But then you jump back into the startup realm again. Am I am I right about that? Or what what are you getting a taste for here? What is it that you uh, excites you uh, as you? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, when you are exposed at that level, you are really exposed to more than just finance, right? Like you are really part of strategy. At Etsy, like you know, um, very early on, like I was part of the leadership team, and the conversations were beyond just are the books closed? It's like, what product are we going to roll out? Like what this, you know, what, what location are we going to open? You know, how are we going to staff teams? Are we going to move teams around the country? And I think that, you know, being a part of the strategic decision-making is something that I, you know, that I enjoy. Um, and obviously at a startup, you, you get to have impact, right? Um, I came in now with, you know, the experience of, of, of doing all of those things at Etsy and the value sort of dollar for dollar that you can, provide is exponential when you're dealing at a company that's still in that stage. Okay, let's uh, let's find out about the latest startup then, known as Envoy. What does this company do and uh, what, what are its offerings exactly? Yeah, so, uh, so Envoy is a technology company that builds SaaS products, um, really that are transforming the modern workplace. So we're challenging the status quo with innovations in a space that has really long been neglected, which is the office, right? If you've ever visited an office and signed in on an iPad, the odds are really high uh, that you use the Envoy platform to sign in. And, you know, Envoy has really redefined how offices interact with visitors, manage deliveries, book conference rooms. And now, uh, you know, with our new product that we launched because of COVID that we call Protect, you know, we're helping companies not only return back to the office safely, but do cool things like capacity management um, and a ton of other things that we're that we're launching soon um, to help folks manage their workspace. Um, you know, we are we're, we're the market leader by far, um, and what sets us apart, you know, from our competition is that you know we've developed the most robust suite of products, you know, as well as a mobile offering and hundreds of integrations, you know, for everything from like Wi-Fi routers to keyless door access. Uh, you know, and an incredible uh, roadmap that our customers are really excited about uh, that includes like hot desking and ticketing in the future. Um, you know, for me coming onto Envoy and, and in my decision process, you know, I, I, was, I was looking for a company that actually had a lot of what Envoy had from a financial standpoint. And that is, we have basically a viral component because, you know, we have a freemium, we have a self-serve, you know, people can just come to the site and, 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 like pick our product up or buy it without the interaction of a salesperson, which is very much like my Etsy and my Indiegogo experience of a, you know, sort of like a marketplace that had this viral loop, if you will. Uh, at the same time, it has an enterprise sales component, um, which was what I had at Quit, which we were only. And, and I think, you know, my, the companies in my experience didn't, weren't able to 
to basically have the two together in one. So um, in terms of thinking about the FP&A side of the house, this really puts about as much complexity as you can add to a business because it has everything. So that was pretty exciting for me. Okay, so some of what you shared got me thinking here. Uh, the workplace, clearly the environment, work environment, suddenly we're all rethinking. We're trying to understand better how workforces are going to be managed if there's not the office that people come to every day. And uh, plus there's gig workers. There are all sorts of sort of different connections that companies have today and how they manage those and how they, am I understanding the nature of this technology correctly? It seems like it's not, it's not really a security. It's both a security as well as a, uh, a management tool of some kind for the new workplace. Uh, am I characterizing this correctly or help me out? Yeah, I mean, I think it does a little bit of all of that. Um, it's definitely a security component to it um, because you check in when you come into the office space. There's blacklisting that allows you to notify like the security or, or whatever, or quite frankly, not give you entry, entry into the workplace. Um, there's the management of the overall capacity, which we just launched with Protect. So now you can set a limit of how many people can come into your office at 25. Your employees have to check in, like pre-check in, and once you reach that 25, people basically are told you cannot come into the office because we're at capacity. So there's a management of capacity as well. Um, there's a management of, of rooms and conference rooms because you can book you know, your meetings and conference rooms. So that space capacity, making sure that all of that is in line. Um, and, uh, and even with deliveries um, for us, like you can, you know, if you have our deliveries product, people will be notified that they received the delivery but you can also, uh, you know, measure like how many deliveries are being delivered, you know, like um, how many, what staffing does it require? So um, it really empowers the the workplace teams to really manage the the office space. I, I'm going to ask you, I want to, I have to believe a year ago, no one was talking about management of capacity as a concern for businesses. Um, and yet uh, was the functionality there? Was it was it repurposed in some way to, you know, to let everyone know that, Hey, we can help you with this now. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, we were, we were pretty lucky. I mean, we've been, uh, you know, Larry, who's, who's the CEO and founder is really a forward thinking technologist and, you know, sort of before mobile was cool in our space, we were already, we already had a mobile offering. So when, when COVID happened, because we had all of these tools already, we were able to seamlessly just use them without having to like develop the mobile app, right? All we did was tweak it a bit to basically respond to the current need of the customers. But it's really our platform that has given us an edge, quite frankly. And when I think about what positions us now, uh, in COVID above our competitors, above everything else, is really that we've had the platform and we're redeploying that. <laughs> so tell, tell us what it is that, uh, and this is clearly an early stage company, I, I believe still, but tell us what are the numbers that are top of mind for you? I have to believe it. It's cash or, or let me put it this way. What are the underlying business dynamics that you are trying to measure? Yeah. So, you know, since I oversee data, basically all of the KPIs fall under my umbrella, uh, including, you know, product. Um, we are a SaaS company. So obviously there's a number of like the, the usual suspect KPIs that you have to make sure that you're keeping, you know, track of whether it's retention or churn, um, you know, or things like that. Um, to me, 
I think the top of mind for me, quite frankly, obviously cash is king, definitely, it always is. But uh, you know, CAC and sales efficiency um, are really top of mind for me right now. I think as you start bolting on that sales team, um, you have to make sure that you're keeping track of the trends of your efficiency and adding that net, you know, net added ARR. So um, when I think about the top top of mind things in terms of like modeling and thinking about the the you know the business, CAC and sales efficiency are key because you know I see it as a journey, right? Changing these numbers takes a long time, right? And and I can't come in as a CFO and basically disrupt the ecosystem, right? I have to have a much longer you know, view on these numbers. So I try to keep focus on incremental improvements as we build a story for the next round and right and, and honestly to build a scalable company. So I'm kind of always thinking like 12 to 16 months ahead, like how do I want my metrics to look? Which ones don't look good now and what do I need to change? And CAC and self-sufficiency are the I, in my experience the ones that can get away from you quickly. Can you give us maybe just a, a quick uh, snapshot of the capital structure? Have you raised money since you've been there or what where are you? Yeah, so so the company has done two rounds, an A and a B round uh, with Andreessen and, and Menlo leading those rounds. Um, and, you know, total total funds raised are like, you know, 40, $43 million. Uh, I think that's that's all in crunch base. Um, and yeah, so we, so we did that raise. The last actual primary um, equity round was raised in the summer of 2018. Um, which was the B round. And, you know, one of the things that we did um, as part of when COVID started happening um, was go out and, and secure, you know, some financing. So we raised an equity line, um, a, a venture debt line for $20 million for operating, uh, as well as another bolted on $10 million for acquisitions. So we did that after, after COVID started. Yeah, what would you tell us? Um, can you give us uh, some sense of uh, when you realized that uh, COVID was going to be something much more than uh, something you read about about in Europe and uh, how uh, the company needed to respond to it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, we're a company that needs people visiting offices, right? So when cities started to shut down and placing restrictions, we knew early on because we were seeing the visitor numbers go down. So we were sort of ahead of the news, if you will, in terms of seeing how things were moving. And quite frankly, even to the location, we could tell you which cities were shutting down first. So, um, you know, when that happened, we, we, you know, we had to act quickly because we were literally in the middle of a, of a storm and we needed to weather that storm. And, and for us, you know, that really meant reviewing every single expense that we had you know, cutting back on every line item that we could. Uh, you know, we looked at, at our software use in detail. It's incredible how much you spend in software in a company. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> pro tip. Uh, and then, you know, we contacted our landlords. We got rents deferred. We renegotiated terms when possible, where possible. You know, unfortunately, we also had to do a reduction in force. So we had to lay off about 30% of our staff. Um, and we took, you know, temp temporary cuts. Now, everything was on the table, you know, because we were caught in the middle of the storm. But, you know, on the other hand, as I mentioned, you know, we, we raised the money because we knew that we were uniquely positioned to rebound. And, and, and it's kind of interesting to say this, but benefit from COVID after the storm passed. Right. So that's why from that standpoint, we went out and secured, you know, um, the financing um, because we wanted to make sure that 
as soon as we can come out of shelter, if you will, we can hit the ground running hard in every aspect of our business. Um, and we could have decided to raise equity, uh, but you know, with an environment that was that unpredictable from a valuation standpoint, not a good time, even though you could get money, you know, and since we are pretty bullish, you know, on the future of, of the company, you know, debt was the, the best route, but, but we had actual data points very early on and we had to react quickly. Now, let me see if I understand this because I want to, let me, let me, uh, actually I'll take a swing at, at summing up the opportunity here. Um, as CFOs and other uh, business uh, leaders begin to evaluate whether they want all these real estate holdings that they've had, and as leases come up and they think, you know, we don't need all this office space, we can do it with fewer offices and allow our employees to work perhaps from home or find some other uh, option close to home. And at the same time, however, come into the office ever so often intermittently. So suddenly you got this workforce that kind of some people show up at the office. Not everyone knows everyone the way they once did all in the lunchroom at 12 o'clock. And uh, so therefore, the community is a little less structured. There's less uniformity. We need to track everyone a little better or we need some way of helping the the organization connect better while they're in the office or even outside the office or at the same time mitigate some of the some of the risks how am i doing am i uh am i close uh no i mean i think that's part of it when you think about uh, there's definitely going to be a change to the way that we work after covid um and i think that there are going to be pockets of folks that are going to work remotely period uh, you know when they when they can uh, we're hearing a lot of different things from our customers some customers are considering you know, like shrinking their footprint in large offices, but actually expanding their footprint in terms of smaller sort of hubs that allow people to congregate and meet and have a meeting place. Um, You know, from that perspective, you know, like Envoy plays a role, I think, in all of those scenarios, um, because for us, the the office opening or the office existence is, is, is what's critical to our business, not necessarily the amount of people in that office. Right Um, now, the amount of people in that office, as you move to those, you're going to need to do more management of that traffic in order not to have a day in which everybody decides to show up. Right. So from that perspective, that's where things that we're developing now, you can see being used later in terms of capacity management. Right. So so there's a lot of that, I think, that as I think about the change of the office, you know, as much as it changes, there's still going to be self Salesforce is still going to have a Salesforce tower. Right. Um, but the, the companies that do decide to change that, I think that our product is now, you know, even more uniquely positioned to help them solve that. Are there certain industries that it's perhaps, uh, under these circumstances, uh, you folks have said, yeah, uh, we're, uh, we should target, or we should focus on more on these industries or no, not necessarily. Uh, you know, not really. Um, I think it's been interesting what we found, um, you know, like construction companies now are, 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 you know, they need to know who's showing up to the construction sites. Right. Um, and I think we're finding, we're finding industries that we normally wouldn't have thought would be users of our product, um, that now find themselves in a place where they have to use a product or something like it in order to manage their, their, um, you know, the flow. So I think what we found interesting is, is just these, newer category of companies that we had never even focused on that are coming out 
um, as part of COVID. But in terms, I think every office space needs something like this, right? And when you think about it, the, the need to understand who's in your space now is important for everyone, right? I think it's gone from something that seemed sort of like novel at one point, like, oh, there's an iPad in front of your office, that's amazing, to something that like leads to like security and safety to the point that is a necessity. So it's, so I, you know, it's pretty exciting for us. Well, we wanna uh, jump to our finance strategic moment question where we ask to look back during the course of your career. It might have been at Envoy, it might have been earlier, but uh, was there a time you could share with us where your lines of sight into the organization allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk, wh whatever it was that you took, you responded to? You either directed the team in a different direction or the organization in a different direction. Anything come to mind when we uh, ask for a finance strategic moment? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, let me let me let me think. Um, well, I think I think a big finance strategic moment in my career um, was back at Etsy when we decided to make the fees for payments made on the marketplace a revenue source rather than a marketplace enabler. And let me explain what what I mean. At the time, we were discussing whether we should just build this product in order to enable the sellers to sell more, right? And therefore. You know the the uptake would be in the additional transactions that happen because we're enabling the sellers to sell, and you know the uh, a guy named Isaac Oates who's actually the founder and CEO of, of a company called JustWorks, uh, and I you know we were partnering closely on the development of payments right, and what we argued was that it could be a revenue source and that it should be priced to make money right. We were like, no, this is the volumes that we're seeing in this are pretty large and this can be game changing for the company in the long term. Um, and it was pretty game changing. And when you look at the percentage of revenue that that now comprises for Etsy, it's actually pretty sizable. Um, to be clear, Isaac did all the development in terms of technical. Uh, you know, I was just a partner on the finance side. Uh, but that was a that was a big moment for us because we could have gone two very different routes with that very, very important decision uh, at Etsy. When we return, Sanui Terrero enters the mentoring round after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're back with CFO Sanoe Terrero, and we're entering the mentoring round. We begin with this question. Looking back uh, at your career, Sanoe, the first time you took on the responsibilities of the CFO role, if you could go back in time, what piece of advice would you give yourself that first quarter, that first week, perhaps? What would you tell yourself? Um, I think what I tell myself is that, you know, as a CFO, your job is enabling. 
Um, so you have to operate in a way that people see you as an enabler and sort of a solution, not a blocker, right? Obviously, we have a responsibility to manage the business, and that requires saying no a lot. Um, that said, uh, you have to build trust early, be transparent, and always explain in a way that people can see the same issue you see and really understand your line of thinking. It's not just about we can't do this or we shouldn't do this. You know, I've I've had to develop ways to communicate in a way that shows that, hey, I'm here to help first and foremost, right? And 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 helping is not just me saying, hey, I'm the CFO and I have the power to say no to a lot of things. Um, so I think that's what that's that's part of the skill that took me the longest time to develop, and I'm continuing to develop that because quite frankly, we are asked sometimes for things that are just not even possible, right? And that goes from anywhere from the C CEO to the head of sales to marketing. Um, but really understanding that you're a partner and building that very, very early on. That is your number one job. Um, once you have partners, then you can actually make decisions easier, right? There's less, there's less conversation. There's a high level of trust. Um, and, you know, you can't, they don't teach you that in school, right? They teach you debits, credits, closing the books and a financial statement and don't, don't let the money run out of business, right? Um, that kind of finesse is really what, what, uh, what, what elevates you to be able to make that decision, those decisions. I want to ask you to reflect a little bit on the personal side of things and whether there's a habit or a part of your daily routine that, uh, you believe is in some way contributed to your professional success. Anything come to mind? Yeah, you know, I have, uh, we all have priority lists, right? Um, I have something that I call face savers. Um, and what that is, is those are things that I don't think are a priority, but other people think are a priority, right? And usually like if the C if I sit with the CEO and he, he asked for something and I completely, I'm like, that's not even relevant. But the next time he asked for it again, I tend to attack that pretty hard because I know that that is something that's top of mind and I might've misjudged how it's a priority to them. Even though it might feel unimportant to me, it's important for me to attack that because other people want to feel like they're heard and like you're responsive. So, so I've, you know, early on, I, I realized that I have my own priority list and whenever things were repeated twice to me, I was already failing at showing that I was being responsive. So I keep that sort of side list. Um, and then every morning I actually start my day by putting down three things that I want to accomplish and no more. Then I draw a line and I'm saying anything above that is sort of extra cheese on the pizza. Um, but I made sure that the three things that are there are really, you know, the three things that are most critical for me to accomplish, you know, in that day. So I don't try to overwhelm my to-do list with too many things. Um, those are the two sort of things that I, that I do. I really like that. Uh, identifying the priorities of others and understanding the priorities of others and, and sort of forming your response to them. Uh, interesting. We don't always pay close attention to uh, the motivations and the priorities of others. Okay, so we want to find out if you have a book recommendation, book selection for us. Uh, you may not. Uh, plenty of uh, finance leaders tell us they do enough reading uh, at work not to have one, but uh, any any come to mind? Um, you know, I, I think that all the books that you read, they all have what I call like a little nugget of wisdom, one little nugget, right? Um, they put a full book on it, but they can probably summarize that in like four pages. Um, I do think that one of the books, or I should say concepts that I owe, that I find myself going back to a lot in a startup is crossing the chasm. 
And it really, it's whenever we have conversations about strategic investments, marketing, um, and you're in a new product, like there's so many things in that, uh, again, in that concept that resonate and that you can actually put to your specific, you know, um, company or situation. So I actually find myself going back to that a lot. So, so maybe not reading the book, but at least understanding the concept because the critical things and how it's defined, I think are really relevant and, and resonate at least with me when you're trying to build a new sales team. You know, just because you sell three things does not mean you have a scalable product that you can put 30 salespeople on top of, right? So really understanding where you are in that arc is critical for you not to you know, make like over investments. Great, great. We haven't heard that one in a while. It's Jeffrey Jeffrey Moore, I believe. He uh, his book, I think, has influenced the thinking of a lot of uh, business leaders uh, in startups as well as a large enterprise. Um, okay, so we're up to our final question, where we get to ask you to look forward and share with us your priorities as a finance leader over the next twelve months. What come to mind? Yeah, so um, it's it's been an interesting time to be in COVID, right? Uh, as a finance leader, it's it's a time where we've had about as little visibility into the future as we've ever had. Um, so it's it's kind of nice to be at somewhat getting back to normal, though a lot's going on in the country. I think for the next twelve months, now that we have the capital to operate comfortably, you know, our focus is in making strategic investments, you know, to help us, you know, keep us in the forefront of what. Again, unfortunately, but fortunately for us, it's actually a pretty exciting time for us. And our space is hotter than it's ever been. So we're playing, we're playing the lead and we got to make sure that we maintain that lead. You know, Protect now puts us, you know, in the hands of employees, which is different than before. We were that, you know, we were a visitor product and employees when it came to, you know, um, the conference rooms and the uh, deliveries packages, but now we're really in the hands of employees of all. Um, and we already own visitor space. So there's so many things we could do. So I think the, you know, my priority over the next 12 months is really steering the organization strategically to make sure that we're making proper investments. Yes, we have money in the bank, but money runs out. So we have to be thoughtful about it. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about, you know, the next 12 months for Envoy and for myself and, and getting back to strategy um, now that we have this incredible opportunity in front of us. Sonoe Torero, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.